following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. And uh, I've got a picture there of a road. I actually drove on this road this summer, and this road is about a 100-plus mile stretch of highway that goes through the Mojave Desert in California. Um, it's a very unique road, and um, you know many of you have heard the saying, uh, all roads lead to God, right? You ever heard people say that? It's really the dumbest thing ever, right? Where in the world do all roads, all roads lead to the same place, right? If, if you want to get to Bangkok, okay, and you're on a road going to Sydney... I don't care how long you drive, you'll never get to Bangkok, right? Every road has its unique destination, right? And uh, there's no such thing as all roads lead to God. And Jesus certainly would affirm that in this passage. And what he lays out for us is really two clear paths or two clear roads, each with its own unique starting point and its, its unique destination. This road, the reason, one reason I like it is it's a 100-mile road, and there is only one entry point. You start at the beginning of this road, and, and it goes for 100 miles, and there is not another road. There's not another house. There's not another car. And in fact, I think this, this could be a, a road that leads to God. Because if you break down on this road, <laughs> that may be your next, your next destination, right? Uh, it's the Mojave Desert. It gets to 130 degrees there, whatever it is, 50-some degrees Celsius, right? Now, um, my wife, who's not here, she's teaching Sunday school this morning, Denise would tell you that in a practical sense, I do believe, apparently, that all roads lead to the same destination, right? Because when I drive, this is how I drive. I get in the car, and I, I, I pick a destination, and I point the car in that general direction, Right? And Denise asked things like, do you know where you're going? Do you know which road to take? And I'm like, hey, I'm going the right direction. Who needs the right road, right? This road will get us there, right? And as we go and drive a long time and that road apparently doesn't get us there, Denise will say things like, maybe we should stop and ask for directions, right? And of course I say, well, why? If we drive long enough on this road, it'll get us there. Right? Well, Jesus says no. He says each road has its unique starting point, its unique destination. And he puts before us two paths, two roads that go in very much opposite directions. Like this road, at no point do they intersect. You can't halfway down decide to switch roads. You gotta, the only way to, to do that would be to go back to the starting point and, and, and move to the other road. Right? So that's kind of the picture here. So let's... Um, Let's read, by the way, I think GPSs are now a real marriage saver because guys don't actually have to ask for directions. If you haven't invested one, it's the best thing we'll ever do for your marriage. I, I speak from experience, right? Um, which has nothing to do with the, the Beatitudes. Um, let's read. Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time 
you will laugh. What blessing awaits you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. What sorrow awaits you who are rich? For you have your only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now? For a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now? For your laughing will turn into mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds? For their ancestors also praised the false prophets. Let's look at these two paths, these two roads that Jesus clearly marks out. One a path of blessing and promise. Uh, One a path also of promise, but of promise, destruction, and grief. Um, Starting point. As I said, every road, these two roads have two very clear and distinct separate starting points. And Jesus really lays out what that starting point is. And to do that, he... um, he co- contrasts or compares the rich and the poor. Now, uh, there's a lot of debate and discussion. As you, if you've probably read this, if you've read commentaries, you've probably heard sermons. And, and the real question is, is Jesus talking here about literal, physical p- poverty, or is this a spiritual thing, right? Is he talking about people who are truly economically destitute, or is he speaking of this more in spiritual terms? Well, and the way this usually gets answered depends on if you're rich or poor. <laughs> if you're poor, it's physical. If you're wealthy, you're really hoping it's spiritual. Right? Well, actually, I think uh, what Jesus is talking about here is both. Right? It, it is both. It is certainly uh, spiritual, but it is also uh, economic. It is literal. We'll see as this unfolds why that's true. So let's look. And uh, we'll look at at the, uh, these two characteristics, uh, go, we can go to the next slide, um, the poor and the rich. And we're going to start with the poor. And there's basically four characteristics of the poor person. First of all, they are uh, they're, they're poor. They are uh, in desperate need. And uh, in Jesus' day, and probably in this audience, those who uh, were most responsive to Jesus' message, message were the poor. Uh, there were probably many those in the crowd who were his disciples who were uh, quite destitute. And we know that, especially as Jesus went around healing, he, he, he drew these crowds of people who were lame, who were blind, who were crippled, who were uh, widows. Right? And all of this group of people, this class of people, were in a situation in Jesus' day where they could not earn a living. Right? Even widows, if, if your husband died, you didn't have the, uh, uh, a husband to provide for you. Oftentimes, you were destitute. You were poor. And your only option oftentimes uh, was to beg. And we see Jesus uh, and, and, and Acts as well, as the disciples went around, uh, encountering crippled and layman, people who were begging because it was the only way they could survive. Right? So the poor are people who are destitute, in deep need. And in Jesus' day, and in Jesus' audience, speaking to Jewish people uh, who, who were God worshipers, God followers, 
If you were like that, if you were in that category of people, you really only had one option. You only really had one place to turn, and it was not Social Security. It was not some government program. It was uh, sadly not even the, the church, although Jewish people all were called to give alms. Really, your only plan was to turn to God. And uh, you see that throughout Scripture. The, the, these poor people, these people in destitute circumstances, had this natural bent to turn to God to be their helper because there really was no other option for them. And so the poor person that Jesus was talking about and talking to was a person who understood naturally what it meant to be absolutely dependent on God right? because of their economic hardship. Um, so, so obviously what Jesus is talking about here is not just economic hardship. Um, and in, in today's day and age and in our modern Western culture, there's all kinds of poor people who God would be the last person they would turn to uh, to address their physical need. Uh, but Jesus teaches this to illustrate that um, the, the greater spiritual point is that a poor person recognizes their desperate need for God. Uh, the starting point of this road that Jesus puts before us is a person who recognizes their desperate need for God. Right? Either because they've come there because of uh, poverty or because they've come there because God has done something to highlight that need in their life. Uh, he gives, uh, and, he, and these, these really are four characteristics of the same person. He goes on to take it a step further. He says uh, that they're poor, but also God blesses you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied. Okay, this is a, and this is a special kind of poverty. There's the poverty of people who struggle, who maybe don't have a good job, may not have the best house or no house. But when you're poor to the point that you don't have food, that's a different kind of destitution, right? That's the most extreme level of poverty. Um, and I forgot to give my preempt for this, but third, fourth, and fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, this is your time right now. Okay, so if you could jump up real quick, come up front because I need your help real quick because I want to talk about being hungry, right? And I promise I won't starve any of you to death. Okay, real quick, fourth, fifth, sixth graders, front and center, quick, hurry, hurry. We're, we're killing time that we don't have. Okay, don't be bashful. You won't be on TV, I promise. Okay. Being hungry. Okay. What does it mean to be hungry? Have any of you guys ever been hungry? Like your mom, you know, got up late and forgot to cook you breakfast, and you had to go to school, and you had to go all the way till 11 o'clock before you could eat, and you just thought you were going to starve to death. You ever been hungry? Hopefully, I bet your moms are more responsible than that. Let's hope. Well, I want to tell you a story about one time when the most hungry I've ever been in my whole life. And I was, um, I was about 13 years old, and I was on a backpack trip up in the mountains. And the guy leading the backpack trip was a crazy guy. He was crazy. And he didn't believe in food. Right? And he would pack, like, enough food to feed two people, and there were 15 of us. And so it was a week-long trip. The first day was okay. second day was okay. By the third day... I thought I was going to die. I was starving. I was so hungry. And we were way up in the mountains, no roads, no 7-Eleven, no McDonald's, right? And I remember me and my friends, all we could dream about and think about was like McDonald's. And we would just drool talking about a Big Mac and French fries, right? 
Well, so what do you think we did? I, that's where I need your help. What do you think we did? We're out there. We're in the mountains, no roads, far from anywhere. We were starving. What do you think we did? Or what could we have done? What would you have done? What would you do? Yeah. You would look for food? And like what kind of food do you think you could find in the mountains? Berries? Yeah. Bananas if you're in Thailand. <laughs> yep. Yeah, in Colorado they don't really have bananas, sadly, because that would have been a lifesaver. Yeah. Rabbits, yeah, rabbits, squirrels, right? Well, we were so hungry, we couldn't we looked for berries, we looked for bananas, we looked for we thought about eating, because we heard you could eat bark of pine trees. Bad idea. So we thought, yeah, rabbits. And they had these big uh, marmots, these big rock chucks. And we were determined we were going to catch one of these and grill it up and eat it. And we spent the rest of the week trying to catch one of these. But we turned out to be just pathetic and miserable hunters. So we uh, starved to death. Well, we starved, but we still lived and survived. All right, thank you guys for your help. Uh, yeah, here's the thing being hungry, and I know this from experience. People who are hungry are motivated to find food, right? Only people who, are, who are, have glutted themselves, who have filled themselves and stuffed themselves, can afford the luxury of being lazy and kicking back in the lazy boy and watching a football game after the Thanksgiving dinner, right? Hungry people don't do that. Hungry people live in pursuit of one thing, finding their next meal, right? They have a drive and a motivation that, does, that never allows them just to sit back. Nobody who's starving to death and whose only option is to beg gets up in the morning and thinks, oh, you know, yesterday was just a grueling day of begging. I think I'm just going to sleep in today. You know, no, it doesn't work that way. Every day, they are searching for food. They are hungry, Right? There is a gnawing in their stomach that drives them. Well, what does that look like spiritually? Well, the starting point that Jesus is talking about, he says, if, if you do not have a hunger for God, right? if there is not a gnawing ache in your soul to pursue and seek and find God, then, then you're not interested in this road. Right? He says, people who are hungry know what it means to, to be driven to find something that will satisfy them. Spiritually, those who will walk down this road know that their heart and their soul are empty and they are hungry for something that this world cannot fill or satisfy. And they pursue God, right? They pursue God with a hunger that is not lazy or complacent, right? Uh, Third thing, uh, it says, God blesses you who weep now for in due time you will laugh. Uh, another characteristic of this poor person is they are, they are sorrowful. They, their life is filled with grief. Now, why are they sad? There's a lot of reasons you could be sad. Your football team lost, you know. Um, you got, you know, jilted by your girlfriend. Um, there's a lot of reasons you can be sad. Why, is, why are poor people sad? Well, poor people are sad because their life is filled with loss. And the word that's used here is a word that really describes grief. It's not just sad. Their, their life is constantly filled with grief because they're constantly dealing with loss. And that's how it is when you are poor. Um, you cannot pay rent, so you lose your house. 
You can't afford shelter and clothes, so your children uh, exposed to the elements die much easier. You can't afford medical care. You cannot see a doctor, so you lose your own health, which complicates and compounds the problem. You lose friends. You lose social standing. You lose self-respect. You lose dignity. When you are poor like this, you are constantly dealing with loss, and it, it results in sorrow and grief, right? You're sad. It's the, it's, it's the tone of your life because constantly you deal with sorrow and loss and grief. Um, is that true of this road? Yes, it is. It's true oftentimes literally. It's definitely true spiritually, right? Uh, when Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to leave behind the life we had before and all of its comfort and trappings and wealth, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that Jesus says in order to be saved, you have to sell everything you own and become destitute poor. But you do have to turn your back on a life that pursues comfort and wealth as its God. Right? And the result is, oftentimes, when you start following Christ, you experience loss. And it was certainly true of Jesus' disciples. Even before Jesus left, his disciples said to him, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. Our families, our jobs, our houses. What are we going to get out of this deal? Right? They left stuff behind. Uh, if you are following Christ, uh, you uh, you leave stuff behind. And my guess is that most of in this in this room know this, right? We didn't get. In, in, and here's the thing: we all didn't get. Most of us didn't get to Thailand because we were pursuing wealth, right? If you came to Thailand to serve God and thought you were going to get wealthy doing it, you may be sadly disappointed right now, right? Because chances are it's not how it works. In fact, here's another survey. So like curiosity, you don't have to answer, but if you want. How many of you, before you uh, started serving God, following God's call, wherever he's led you, how many before at some point in your life made a whole lot more money in a career and a job than you do now? Raise your hand. Okay, at least a couple of you, Right? Right? Now, see, the ones who didn't were, were like me, where you gave your life to Christ way too early, and you never even got to the good job, right? You know? Yeah. Um, and we could, we could have the same survey. How many of you have left family, have left parents or children or grandchildren or brothers and sisters that were very dear and close to you and you don't feel some sense of the loss of that separation, of living so far away, right? And there's a certain grief that comes with that. There's a certain sorrow. Not, not that we all sit around crying all day, but it's hard, right? It's hard. Last thing, he says, What well, blessing awaits you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man. Okay. Um, no one looks up to poor people. Poor people, as a general rule, do not win Nobel Peace Prize, Prizes, uh, are not honored, right? They are overlooked. When you walk down this path, you walk down a path where you are choosing to be scorned and hated and rejected. And certainly that was true of Jesus' disciples, and I think it's true for us. Uh, when we choose to follow Christ, 
we don't become instantly respected by society. Oh, wow, you're a Christian. You're a missionary. Right? Uh, Christians will hopefully do that. Although even among Christians, oftentimes you get the response, what's wrong with you? Right? I remember when I was working at Bible camp, youth camp, um, one of my jobs was recruiting staff. And I cannot tell you how many times I talked to pastors and church leaders saying, you know, we would love to have your college son or daughter come work at camp. And they would say to me, oh, well, you know, we love camp and camp's great, but my son and daughter needs to get a job, right? They, they can't serve, right? Right? Because uh, they've got more important things to do, right? Even among Christians, right, it's considered foolish. And among non-Christians, it's, it's considered worse, right? We are mocked. Uh, good news, by the way, uh, update. Imran, who we've been praying for, uh, God has worked just incredible miracles in his life. And today, right now, I think, um, he has his visa in hand. He's on an airplane flying to Thailand, to Chiang Mai, and should be here any moment, right? Yeah, amen. Praise God. If you've been following his story, but you know that the reason he's living in Thailand and, and not in his home country is because he's been kicked out. He's been rejected by his own people because he is following Christ, right? Because he's following Christ. That's the road, right? That's the road that Jesus says, if you want to follow me, this is the starting point. Poor, in desperate need, hungry, a life full of grief and loss and doomed to be, in many ways, rejected. The other road, real quick. Uh, Being rich. What sorrow, and, and this is, a, this is a, a road of woes, okay? Being poor, and we'll get to the, the rewards in a minute, the consequences. This is a, a road of woes. What sorrow awaits you who are, who are rich now, for you have uh, your only happiness in the present, right? Does this mean rich people can't be saved? If it's true, we're all in trouble, because by most standards, most of us would qualify as rich, uh, I didn't see any of you, you know, sitting out on the curb begging for coins so you could go eat lunch. Good strategy, though. You might try it on the way out. Um, we're wealthy people. If Jesus is saying here, rich people absolutely cannot ever be saved, we're all in trouble. Right? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying, though, is this. Uh, if we choose to pursue the wealth of the world with no thought of where that road ends, right? and we live only for the now, and, and uh, it, he Luke is very careful. Jesus emphasized the word. He says, what, what sorrow, sorrow awaits you for, you have your happiness now. Right? This is the person who's living for today only with no thought of where the road la- leads. Right? They don't care what happens in eternity. They live fully for today. And they seek the wealth and comfort and security in this life, here and now, exclusively. It can be, and, and you can be rich or poor and, and be pursuing that. You could be desperately poor and still be convinced your only hope is to get wealth today, here, and now and enjoy what life you can here and now. Right? Uh, th- these are people who have been deluded with a false sense of security. They believe that wealth will bring them security here and now, and if you're secure here and now, that's all that matters. Right? And so they've pursued that. Second one, they are satisfied. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now for a time of awful hunger awaits you. 
this is the, de- the deception of a counterfeit contentment, right? First is a, a, a false sense of, of uh, security. This is the idea that I can find contentment in life here and now. And it, it, it contrasts being hungry, remember? Hungry is a person who desperately senses their need for God. Who needs God? Well, everybody does. God created every single person with a gnawing hunger and longing for Him. But here's what happens. People in the world feel that those hunger pains, but it's like my friend who just went on a diet when I was back in the States met him, and he's lost like, I don't know, 80 pounds or something. And I asked, man, how did you lose, lose so much weight? And uh, he cheated, right? He, he, he found these little pills that take away your appetite and make you not hungry. And he also did some important things. He exercised and he, he uh, ate right. But he took these pills. He says, great, because I never was hungry, so I just didn't eat, right? Well, that works for dieting. It doesn't work so well spiritually. And the reality is people have, every person has this deep hunger for God, but the wealthy person has found ways to numb that hunger with a diet pill, right? And the diet pill is things like entertainment, pleasure, success and the pursuit of success, uh, whether it's sports or business, or I, this, I just saw this this summer, a video game championship, right? Where these, like, gamers who've done nothing but spend 24 hours a day gaming had this tournament broadcast live, of course, on a TV on the Internet. The prize was $2 million, right? I should have been a gamer, <laughs> right? Okay, you, you throw your life into that, right? You, you're, it becomes your consuming passion. You live for that, and it numbs you to the real hunger, right? It doesn't make you go away, but it distracts you. It distracts you. So you don't sense your hunger for God. Toys, stuff, right? None of this is bad in and of itself. But the danger is it becomes a counterfeit uh, contentment, Right? It numbs you to the gnawing hunger and longing for God. Uh, third thing, they, are, they, they, they laugh at others. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now, for your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. It's an arrogance, really. And the word that's used here in the Old Testament is, is used only one time in a positive way. Almost exclusively it's used for a person who laughs in a mocking, scornful way at the expense of others. Right? The wealthy laugh at at the poor. They have this arrogant joy at the expense of others. Lastly, what sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds for their ancestors also praised the false prophets. Um, They look good on paper. They are popular. Uh, Wealthy people make the front of magazines, right? They are celebrated. They are celebrities, they are heralded as role models, right? Because they are wealthy and successful, because they have made their life comfortable and good here and now, right? Um, so they have it all together. Well, this, this summarizes and talks about these two kinds of people, but it really doesn't tell you what the true starting point is. And if we stop there, we would be missing a very important detail I want to go back and touch on. What actually is the real starting point of these two roads? Well, the clue or the answer comes actually in the very last verse of each section. Uh, verse 23 says this, 
When that happens, that is, when you are rejected, be happy, yes, leap for joy, for great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, and here it is, their ancestors, that is, the ancestors of those treating you this way, rejecting you, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. This has something to do with the ancient prophets. Well, what does that mean? The end of the next section, verse 26, it says this, What sorrow awaits you when you are praised by the crowds? Why? For their ancestors, the crowds, also praised the false prophets. Uh, What's that mean? Well, they were praised. The false prophets were people who were notorious for telling people what they wanted to hear. The false prophets were, I mean, the true prophets were also notorious for telling people what they did not want to hear. Uh, in the Old Testament, a prophet was a very special role. It was a person who lived for God alone and who had very much turned their back on, on the world. And they sought and pursued God. And they lived, and, and their life was, was consumed with a passion for God. And uh, they did not live for the here and now. Their, their vision was set on, on God and his unfolding plan through the ages. And as they met with God, as they sat in his presence, God would reveal to them his, his plan and his message. And the message was never positive, rarely. You know? The message was, Israel is sinning. Israel is going to fall under judgment. I'm about to wipe them out. Right? If they don't confess and turn from their evil ways, disaster is coming. So these prophets would get fired up, empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit, and they would go out and they would tell it like it was. And they would speak to Israel and they would call out the sin of the, of the people and the sin of the king and the sin of the priests. And they would warn them, if you don't change, if you don't turn your heart, God is going to destroy you. Right? And the crowds would go, yay! <laughs> no! They would go kill that guy. Right? And they would chase them away. And they would reject their message, and sometimes they would kill them. So Jesus says that these roads really, and these two people are not just poor and rich, they're really the picture of a false prophet and a true prophet. So what does that mean? Well, I think it means this. The starting point is what we do with the gospel. How we embrace the gospel. Jesus was already facing great opposition because of his life and his message. Already they were contemplating what to do with him. Very soon they would figure out what they were going to do with him, and it was kill him. His disciples were already sensing, this is not, it's not going the way we thought. Right? After Jesus' death, it would go even more so that way. And Jesus says, look, if you, if you embrace the gospel, if you embrace my life, my teaching, my message my sacrificial death and my resurrection, and you cling on to that with all your heart and soul, and you believe it, and you go out as my witnesses, and you proclaim it, that starts you down that road. And it's a road that will lead to poverty. And we'll see that in a minute. On the other hand, if you choose not to do that, if you instead choose a more popular message... It's a different road, right? This is a serious warning for the church today, right? The church, I'm talking, especially the church in the West. 
who has, who has decided that the way our message is going to become accepted is if we change it so that people will like it. Right? And how many churches now, I can speak for America, I can't speak for other countries, churches in America will not, will not preach on sin, will not preach on hell or judgment or the wrath of God. Why? Because it's not popular and people don't like it. So they don't talk about that, those things. Instead, they preach the love of God. Jesus says that is a different road. That is not the road that leads to heaven. That is not the road that leads to the kingdom. Right? So that's a huge warning for the church. And it's a huge warning for us. Right? If we are changing the message to make it more popular so people won't throw stuff at us, that's a different road. Right? That is not the road that Jesus says leads to the kingdom. He says, you have become a false prophet. Serious stuff. Uh, So that's the starting points. Uh, Real quickly, each of those roads goes on its own journey. And for the person who embraces the gospel and takes the path of poverty, no matter how well off and rich you started, guess what? It is a road towards poverty, hunger, uh, loss, and rejection. And you need to know that. If you thought the gospel was going to make your life more comfortable and more easy here and now, okay, somebody lied to you because that's not it. Uh, The prosperity gospel says that Jesus died for you in order to make you filthy rich. Okay? They didn't hear Jesus preach because that's not what Jesus says. He says, you follow me, you start down this road, you embrace the gospel, it is going to be a a road towards poverty, right? Um, And here's how it works. You know, when you give your life to Christ and you start hearing the rest of what he asked for in the Sermon on the Mount, the rest of the requirements, right? He's going to start asking you to give away your wealth. And to not ask for it back. You can't follow Christ and end up wealthier at the end of the day, most likely, than than you started. Now, that's not completely true because God is is really generous. And sometimes, no matter how hard we try to give it away, he gives even more back. St. Francis of Assisi, some of you know his story, determined when he gave his life to Christ to never own anything. In fact, he took the very shirt off his back, walked out into a snow-covered ground, with hardly anything on, and vowed to never own anything. And he kept that vow pretty well, except for later in his life, somebody, and as he kind of got famous, people kept trying to give him stuff, right? At one point, somebody gave him a whole mountain with a castle on it. <clears throat> and he refused it, but they, they, they wouldn't take no. So he got stuck owning this mountain with a castle on it. It happens to some people. <laughs> Not me. <clears throat> um, doesn't mean God doesn't bless you. And it doesn't mean if you have a certain level of comfort right now in your life that you're sinning, right? But I'm telling you, the mindset and the path is one of, of moving away from the comfort and wealth of this world and being willing to make sacrifices in your life of service to God. That's the path. That's the road that Jesus calls us to. It is a life of sacrifice. Um, God blesses those who lay down all for him. 
um, you will be rejected. You will suffer loss, right, following Christ. Uh, I know some of the GIS board is here, and some of you may have all have heard uh, that potentially Grace International School is going to get kicked out of their building, right? That's a pretty good rejection, right? And it hurts, right? That kind of rejection hurts. And if you're involved with the school or not, it hurts us all because that's the rejection that the world, they hate us, right? Part of it is because they're Christian. Part of it uh, is because they were not willing to pay the kind of bribes and, 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 and put themselves in the kind of corruption that may have resulted in a different outcome, right? That's how it is when you follow Christ. And Jesus says, when you follow me, you follow my way, you will be rejected. You will be scorned. Um, the, other, the other path is one to pursue a life of comfort. Um, real quickly, the end of the trail. Where do each of these paths end? Uh, Jesus is very clear on this. That the one path leads to the kingdom and an, a glorious, unimaginable reward. Right? Uh, he says... Uh, God blesses those who pour for the kingdom of God is yours. It's present tense. It already belongs to you. Now, you may not be a full-time resident there yet, but here's the deal. You don't need a visa to get in. Hallelujah. You don't got to go to immigration first and apply for a visa. Right? You're a resident citizen. One of my favorite songs, Bluegrass, you probably haven't heard it. You don't knock, you just walk on in. Right? The door is open for you. Right? You are a resident of the kingdom already. You, 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 you've received some of its blessings. Many of the blessings are future. But you're already a resident. You are already in. Uh, he speaks of uh, those who are hungry will be satisfied. Okay? The gnawing hunger, you, you will be satisfied eternally with the very presence of God and all his wealth, all his joy and blessings. Uh, those who are full of sorrow, you will laugh with unending joy. Unending joy. And finally, those who are rejected and scorned and hated, uh, he says, rejoice for your reward in heaven is great. Your reward is great. You see, when you start down that road, you start with the, with the clear uh, conviction that it ends well, right? That the final destination is worth it. And it is glorious and it is eternal. And we've turned our back on the world because we know it is temporary. And we long for the eternal, the reward that will never wear out or fade, right? Um, the other, the other path, he says, leads to devastating loss. He says, um, woe to those who are wealthy. Uh, what sorrow awaits you who, who are rich for your, the only happiness you will ever get is what you experience right now. Um, they have made heaven on earth, and that is as close to heaven as they will ever get. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now, for a time of awful hunger awaits you. Uh, what sorrow awaits you who laugh now, for your laughing will turn to never-ending sorrow. You see, it, that road ends in absolute, total 
devastating loss. Everything will be lost to them for eternity. Right? Not, not where I want to go. Right? Those are the two roads that Jesus puts before us. Uh, he f- Let me close with this last command. Uh, it's mostly a Beatitudes, but in the middle of it, there's a command. And the command is this. He says um, in uh, verse 23, 22 and 23, What blessing awaits you when people hate you, exclude you, mock you, because of you are following the Son of Man. When that happens, and here's the command, when that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for great is your reward. Now here's the hard part. Right? Um, if you embrace the gospel and if the person who shared the gospel was honest with you about the road you were getting yourself into, um, it is a road of towards poverty, towards sorrow, towards grief, towards hunger, towards rejection, right? right? It, it's a road that ends with incredible reward. So here's the deal. When you encounter poverty, financial hardships and struggles, when you encounter loss, when you get kicked out of your building, what are you supposed to do about it? Grumble and complain? Or rejoice? Rejoice! Right? Rejoice! You don't have permission to complain. Right? Because it's what you signed up for. Right? You, you paid money for this. Well, not really. It was a free gift. Right? It's the road you started down. Right? Why do we rejoice? Because we enjoy poverty and we enjoy sacrifice and we enjoy, enjoy suffering? No. We rejoice because it's confirmation we're on the right road. Right? We rejoice. Why? Because the reward is great. Because all the suffering and sacrifice and hardship that you deal with now will be fully paid by God in the end. He notices. He is watching. He's called you to that. right? And He is not going to leave your sacrifice, your hardship, your suffering unnoticed and uncompensated. Okay? But He may not compensate it today or tomorrow. But He will. Right? So we rejoice. Why? Because our reward is great. Right? This is not about being, you know, poor helpless martyrs, right? But it is about being happy martyrs who rejoice at the path we are on. Because we have joyfully embraced the gospel and the, the, the consequences that go with it. And we are going on that journey towards our great heavenly reward and entrance into the kingdom, right? So we should be rejoicing every step of the way. If not... We need to check which road we're really on, right? We need to do an inventory of what we have signed ourselves up for. Are we really living for an eternal future reward or are we ticked off because we want it now? And really what we're living for is a comfortable today. A lot of Christians have gone the route of the false prophet. They think they're Christians. They are not. They are on a different path. Right? And when hardship comes, they get ticked off because it is not what they signed up for. They living, they're living for the moment. 
not for the kingdom any You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.